Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Peter, a product lead over at OnTouch, two fabulous um, product managers from East Park, Miller and JP, and finally, a product manager from eFuel, Vitaly. Today, we're here to discuss about product leadership within mobile applications. But before we delve in any further, let's do a round of introductions. Peter, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Cool. Um, we'll do that. Uh, my name is Peter Backstrom, and I work at an agency called Bon Touch. Uh, we're pretty unknown for most people, but uh, our apps are uh, quite extensively used. The SwissChat app, PostNord, and um, SystemBlogger, just to mention a few for the Swedish crowd. Uh, you will recognize those. And on average, I think about uh, two apps uh, is installed in every Swede's uh, pocket. It's quite impressive. I started back in 2005 at an online marketing company called Trade Doubler and moved into a product role about 2008. So really uh, early days before it was really uh, a profession as it is today. And I've also worked quite a few years at H&M uh, and then focused a lot on uh, product discovery as a specific focus area of mine. So that's something I, I'm very passionate about. Okay, fabulous. Thank you very much, Peter. Mila, we'll come over to you next. Thanks, Christopher. Hi, everyone. I'm Mila Leinonen. I work as a product manager at the EasyPark Group. And, uh, well, on the EasyPark Group, our core offering uh, is the parking app. And uh, I work with that application. And there, our team is responsible for the parking flows. And, uh, well, our product is served in over uh, 20 different countries, and we are continuing to, to grow uh, every every month, basically. And that's exciting to, to be in that journey. Uh, and I have been actually with Easy Park now over uh, five years. Uh, I have just moved to the product on, on this year, and earlier I was working on the marketing department. And there, specifically in the new user acquisition, where I was respond- responsible for the App Store optimization. So from that uh, background, I have bring a lot of uh, knowledge and expertise, how is to do a continuous experimentation and iteration. Also, since I have been so long with the, with the business, uh, I, I already got a quite good equipment for the having a good business understanding uh, about the product. And uh, also, of course, since being a marketeer, customer first is a really familiar concept for me. So that's oh. about me. Thanks. Okay. Thank you very much. And to another easy parker, JP, can you introduce yourself, please? Thanks, Willis. Uh, yeah, I'm JP, and I'm the product manager for EBC at Easy Park. Uh, I'm currently based in London. Uh, I initially started my journey with uh, Ringo two years ago, uh, where I focused on off-street gator solutions. Uh, and about a year ago, I transitioned to Easy Park's EBC domain. Uh, and that really brings my passion for innovation to drive positive changes. Uh, before joining Easy Park, I embarked on a little bit of an entrepreneurial venture, uh, managing my own uh, app-based business. And along the way, I actively uh, contributed to various startups, uh, ranging from building management systems to immersive uh, virtual reality technology uh, in healthcare. But uh, that's me in a nutshell. Okay, thank you very much, JP. And last but by no means least, Vitaly, over to you. Yeah, hi, everybody. 
my name is Vitaly, and I'm a product manager based in Stockholm. Uh, latest working at eFuel, uh, creating uh, amazing uh, home charging experiences for uh, EV drivers. Uh, previously, I worked uh, at Readly, uh, where I was driving the content discovery. Uh, Readly is a platform with the all-you-can-read subscription service uh, for magazines and newspapers. Uh, but I uh, worked many years before that as a management consultant uh, and basically pivoted quite a lot from uh, classical pro project management to product management, where I found my passion uh, with product discovery and actually creating something from, from scratch, uh, which is the most fun, I would say. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading-edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Okay, fabulous. Well, thank, thank you all four of you to giving your insights there. What we'll do is... We'll go into a bit more detail. I know all of you came back with a question, what you like to discuss. And JP, we're going to start with your question. And I know your question stated, in your experience, what is the best way of defining a go-to market strategy of launching a redesigned application? Take it away. What do you mean a bit further in that? Yeah, so um, currently, you know, we're in the process of redesigning uh the the whole easy park app and especially for ebc um our our user experience has not been touched for sort of six to seven years so it's definitely time for an upgrade uh but now we are in this uh, sort of scenario where you know our team has sort of some designs ready but we want to go to market but there's a lot of dependencies uh on other teams right uh, and we're like a piece of that puzzle. Um, we want to go to market, but you know, there's a lot of dependencies in that sense. Um, and with this, you know, with the other teams, a lot of UX research can happen and then they go back to the drawing board and we would have to tweak, uh, what we have implemented already. Um, and with these sort of, uh, challenges, it comes where we are just developing, but not getting it out to the users. So what do you guys, or what experience, have you ever experienced this sort of uh, issue before? And uh, what, what sort of advice do you have? I can just jump right into that one because I <laughs> feel it's somewhat triggering almost. Uh, no, but I think when you uh, worked in large organization, this is sort of the normal state of things, right? That you, you're, you're very much focused on your roadmap. You have some great ideas. Uh, but then there's so many dependencies on other product teams that they need to, uh, you know, help support with in order to get things moving and get out the, get out to market. And it's, you know, very difficult, uh, many times to, to actually make that happen. And I think that, you know, bringing the rest of the organization 
uh, with you on that journey from the very start is is key to it. I mean, it really needs to be a shared effort. They need to to believe in your cause as well. So, uh, starting the communication at at a very early phase, I think it's it's you know really really crucial for it to be successful down the line. I will, I will continue on that note, I think, uh, Peter. Uh, I also recognize these uh, issues when, uh, when you get dependency between teams. Uh, you're trying to do something new. You, you have a hypothesis about what it will what it would bring to the table in terms of user value. Uh, but then you, then you get stuck in the you know internal politics of things or technical depth uh, that makes you dependent on other teams, uh, stuff like that. And I think... Uh, the root cause of all that is uh, how your organization uh, is structured and works uh, as a product organization. Like, do, are you really aligned uh, across the whole product when it comes to strategy across all teams or, or not? Uh, and when you do something big within a spe- specific product team, uh, that's when kind of those issues start to surface when you're just like withholding the you're just maintaining the status quo and maybe working on optimizations and stuff like that, then you don't potentially, then you usually don't see any issues. But then when you, when you do something big, uh, then uh, it becomes a trial of the fire uh, to bring that to the surface. Uh, and maybe a good lesson for the whole organization to try to address that. Yeah, and uh, if I could build on what Peter was mentioning about that, uh, yeah, and also what JP was reflecting on that, uh, especially when uh, kind of like it's a joint effort across different teams who are kind of having this shared uh, kind of redesign working on, and uh, then you would kind of think about, well, how I will make the go-to market strategy. And of course, like it was mentioned that the, to collaborate and be aligned is basically the baseline, but in, in reality, I would say that maybe uh, with all the teams to which you have dependencies, you kind of should have some sort of a high-level go-to-market strategy, maybe some aligned kind of uh, deadlines when you kind of, okay, in this moment, everyone will be in X state. But then I think that there should be still some flexibility for each team individually because you might have then a bit different kind of... uh, uh, product that you are launching or a bit different audience or... uh, this type of things and uh, it, it might be that you want to basically fail fast on, on your perspective and you want to maybe before that uh, shared deadline or, or goal that you have as a greater team to do some kind of death tries, MVPs. So uh, I would kind of maybe that guide that maybe you need to first as a bigger team to align on the greater call to market strategy, but there needs to be kind of then uh, some loose and um, and a kind of high-level playground on the beast set then uh, for the team. So then you can also still be still be kind of empowered team and think about which is the small steps that uh, you can take in between while you are going towards the, the bigger call uh, together with the other teams contributing to that. Okay, nice. Go on, JP. Well, what are your thoughts there? No, that's great. I mean, great, great advice. Uh, it, it is, it is, uh, it is a huge challenge. I do, I do see like what Vitaly said uh, in terms of aligning. It's, it's such a key. Uh, but I guess uh, I learned some of it the hard way. So. <laughs> yeah. 
But I think, I mean, uh, also what I see a lot of times is people, they don't really have a strategy. I mean, they have an ambition and, you know, a wish that we're going to be the leading whatever. Uh, but then they sort of fail to mention exactly, you know, the road there, how that's going to happen and uh, that sort of logical reasoning behind it. So I think... Uh, not only focusing on, you know, what are the features that are going to be delivered, but also on that, you know, storytelling, exactly how your um, vision or less this change of strategy will play out, uh, you, know, on, on, you know, without going into the details of specific UI changes. I think that's what gets people excited in, in general and then buy into the actual roadmap down the line. Yeah, I think that's also one of the challenges that we see when we try to scale this like cross-functional empowered product teams uh, that is very popular now in product organizations is that yeah, you give the team the ownership uh, of certain problem space uh, and then they basically zoom in on that and are very focused on uh, like solving that user problems or needs uh, and they focus on that part of the product uh, and sometimes we don't zoom back out enough as product managers and look back up on the on the holistic view of the product because uh, even though that teams are empowered and cross-functional, the different parts of the product still affect each other. You cannot, you know, just uh, have one team designing the kitchen and the other team designing the living room, and they have completely different visions. So, like when you transition from one room to another, you're like thinking like that you went from a British library to Alice in Wonderland. Uh, it's uh, you need to have a holistic experience uh, and that that kind of turn goes back to what you were saying JP like how do we align the team so what is our growth loop uh, what is the user journey and how do we want the users to experience it um, if we don't zoom back out then uh, then you usually end up in trouble later on in, in the journey as a team yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I was personally more involved on the delivery side of things before, but now, you know, we have let the tech tech leads to sort of align with the technical side with the other teams and I've zoomed out. And now me and Mila, for example, we're working really close together in order to align on the product side of things uh, to manage these uh, dependencies. I'm curious to hear how do you approach the marketing side of things when it comes to this? How do you talk about the redesign oh that's it <laughs> but um yeah i mean for because we're doing the ebc launch first and it depends on the market we launch in um but uh, these are still ongoing conversations uh we have a specific dedicated marketing team uh that we're working closely with and we have like bi-weekly syncs with them uh, to make sure we build, we, we show the right content to the user. Uh, but it's all in planning stages at the moment. But it's a valid point because it's a very different kind of um, competence. Uh, and I think it needs to, again, be brought into the discussion at an early point because it can definitely affect a lot of the product decisions. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's questions right now whether you know, is the best route actually being or launching campaigns or is it being a bit more scientific uh, by uh, going through the native way of the app and directing the users uh, 
to to automatically use it through that. Okay, so JP, cool question for you. Obviously, this is what you're working on right now. What would be the one bit of advice you would recommend people to stay away from when doing something like this? Stay away from. Ooh. <laughs> um, I would. I would say. <laughs> Put you on the spot there, didn't I? Yeah, you did. You did for sure. Um, that's quite a tough one. I would say stay away from evangelizing too much <laughs> about the product uh, because you know expectation it will just lead you to managing a lot of expectations so don't sell the expectations uh too early without you knowing exactly when you're going to launch and all these things so it's really important to keep it neutral um because otherwise you get uh, people like investors or c-level to actually jump on you <laughs> and and you're just creating a lot of high expectations within the company uh, or promising things you can't deliver. Okay, fabulous. Well, we'll wrap up on your questions. Are there any more comments anyone would like to make on JP's point? Just looking forward to see that uh, redesigned app as soon as possible. Yeah, definitely. JP, any closing any closing thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really excited about this. Uh, redesign as well and uh, can't wait for you all to try it and give us some feedback awesome awesome all right okay we'll move around the table once again and uh, miller we'll come to you now you, your question was very straightforward what strategies can you employ to foster continuous delivery how do you mean this question go in a little bit of detail for us Yes, so continuous discovery. That was the last point. So what strategies can you employ to foster continuous discovery? And where that arose? Well, uh, I would say that uh, I, I guess we all have been, for instance, reading the book called Inspired. And their kind of discovery is in a big role. Uh, and uh, I would say traditionally kind of how discovery is seen in the product. Uh, product organizations and that what I have experienced. It's a kind of a big entity that you put maybe your quarterly plans and uh, you maybe focus on kind of a whole quarter on doing discovery of some new product launch or uh, this type of stuff. Stuff And it's quite a big and exhaustive process. It it can be, but the kind of the, the power on, on discovery would be really to kind of put it as a part of your day-to-day work. It's a kind of the even kind of the operating model that's how you think about things so uh, i was kind of thinking that how you kind of managed to, to do that uh on, on your work and uh, kind of what tips there you would you have for me that how to yeah foster continuous discovery he's gonna take the floor but sally we'll come to you <laughs> Yeah, I think I was waiting for Peter to talk because uh, I think he's <laughs> and I was the, holding back because the I most senior be discovery expert in this group. <laughs> but I, I have some thoughts on on this. And like, I've, I've been uh, focusing quite a lot on on uh, like improving my product discovery skills since I pivoted from uh, project management, uh, and I think that gave me some insights on the differences between project management uh, management and product management and. 
the biggest mistake that I see people making when it comes to discovery is treating it like uh, a project pre-planning or something like that. You basically yeah. Uh, yeah. target a set of roadmap features and then you try to do discovery afterwards on how to deliver those features and how, how they might work for the user. Uh, and I think that's, that's the biggest mistake. Uh, the discovery should be about the problem space only. Uh, yeah. and then, uh, the opportunities that you target come after. Yeah. Um, and that, that way it becomes much easier also to just incorporate that into your daily, weekly routines. You should not, uh, like do a big batch of discovery and then you try to take in all that data and work with it. And then you try to do a lot of delivery and then you try to catch up on discovery again and become this like yo-yo effect. Uh, that's what I think that a lot of product teams are struggling with, especially when you uh, set objectives for the quarter or something like that. And then you do a lot of discovery in the beginning of the quarter and then you like run uh, on all the ideas that you have generated. And then when there's like three, four weeks left of the quarter and you're starting to set the next quarter's objective, you're thinking like, oh shit, like how do we, now that we have to run a lot of discovery again, we haven't thought about this topic. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, you're basically like discovering new problem areas all the time. Um, and it becomes a, a much more stressful than it has to be. Um, I really think you put a finger on a very important point. Uh, I mean, people need to realize that, you know, again, discovery is about going into something with a very open mindset. And, and uh, just like you described, what happens most of the time is people have a certain feature in mind or there's something they want to do, and then they do some customer interviews and just trying to figure if the button should be green or blue, sort of. Um, but actually spending a lot of time and really understand your core customers in depth uh, is, you know, it's it's definitely worth it uh, for long, in the long term. And at H&M, I was part of the team that actually went around the world to do that. Uh, I think the close to five, six hundred interviews across four continents, you know, just getting an understanding of what customers think, do, act, like everything um, up and down, left to right, uh, in order to identify, you know, opportunity areas and um, on hidden potential. Uh, and then you can use that for all sorts of things. Um, but it's also important uh, to do this very openly because that's another problem I, I, I've experienced that oftentimes this work is done by innovation labs or like specific teams and, and whatnot. And it becomes very isolated, the knowledge. So it needs to be spread as, as far as possible within the organization. Uh, and and also done in a very transparent way because otherwise people will be actually reluctant to take in those insights. They will feel like you know I'm not sure about that. <laughs> sort of um, I know how this is done. I've been working here for 20 years. So so to involve uh, broadly uh, your colleagues is is also a key component. Yeah, super interesting, Peter. Uh, I've seen that as well. I've, I've heard a lot of discussions over the years that people are saying like, yeah, maybe we should have 
you know, one team that is doing the discovery and then we have another team that is uh, doing the delivery. Uh, so far, I haven't seen that really working out for anybody. If somebody has like an example of that working, I would love to see that, uh, to see yeah. how it works. Um, and also like maybe for product teams that are just starting out, you know, when I was doing the workshop with uh, Teresa Torres, uh, when the, uh, during the masterclass, we're doing a lot of workshops around how to get started with product discovery. And I think a lot of people get hung up on that discovery is only like having user face-to-face interviews and uh, that's the like source of everything uh, all the information that you're going to get but in my experience uh, it's not really like that in reality you have to be quite creative and resourceful uh, of where you get uh, different input for your discovery it can be anything from you know sitting in on sales calls or uh, sitting in on the customer support or reading customer support tickets or yep. uh, secretly joining communities of competitors' products on Reddit or like be creative about it and just try to understand as much as possible about the problem space and how are the users solving the, that problem for themselves today. Um, and that will give you a different perspective. It's all about minimizing risk at the end of the day. Just don't turn it into this uh, big waterfall project where you do all the discovery up front, and then you try to convert that to ideas and deliveries afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally very exciting agree. topic. Yeah, I totally agree as well. I mean, it's not always about, you know, what the end consumer actually wants, but sometimes we will need to find something they want before they know it. Uh, and, you know, we can also do that through, like, um, like mixed panel, look at looking at data like of user behaviors and all these things so i, I think that's the key as well and is it a kind of a bit of part of the problem why it's not so easy kind of have it as a part of your weekly or day-to-day work is that because the word discovery is seen as a kind of big uh, heavy process so uh, but should we move more on the kind of way of like uh Continuous discoveries. It, it's it's really about kind of uh, understanding the the, the current uh, how how your current product is is working. What the what opportunities there are. What problems there are uh, from the customer's point of view, from, from the business point of view, uh, from the stakeholder point of view. So is it would it be the way how you could really kind of then turn it to the continuous process that then you have this sort of what you Vitaly were mentioning that uh, you are for, for instance listening sales calls you might have I don't know monthly basis you have interviews with the real customers to get in-depth understanding looking about the the data as uh, JP was saying so uh, you kind of put this different kind of uh, sources uh, in the in the part of your activities and trying to kind of have the ball yeah. rolling all the time okay. weave yeah. it into everything I have a quite good comparison. Like uh, when you talk about the delivery, uh, some people that uh, run Scrum or Agile uh, in general usually talk about uh, delivery velocity, like how fast or how efficient are we at delivering features. Uh, but when it comes to discovery, you cannot really measure it in that way because it's much more of a fluent activity. So the word continuous becomes the key here. So what you should actually measure is consistency. Uh, and not uh, the, like velocity. So you should just check, are we actually 
uh, learning something uh, mm. every week yeah. uh, or are we doing the activities and not only target don't only do a discovery when you uh, feel that you have something new that you need to learn do it just all the time because you will never know what you will find under the stone sometimes you like have an interview booked and you think, okay, but I already talked to like five customers this week. I will not learn anything new from this interview. And you get surprised uh, quite frequently about like some new perspective that you would not get otherwise from that specific user uh, or that specific uh, sales call or whatever so that you're looking at. Um, so yeah, I would yeah, say just, just block off time and just do it uh, all it, the time. It, it, it's a muscle that needs uh, practice constantly and if you don't do it you, you sort of you get out of shape so it's clear <laughs> and and in the same way it, it needs to be inspiring for the rest of the organization so i think again the people who are you know, involved in these activities they they learn a lot and they often oftentimes become really inspired uh, but it's also then their responsibility to try to package it and to make it accessible for people who are, don't have the time and and so that they can buy into those uh, insights I think just the the tangible stuff, you know, the the a nice looking user journey, uh, personas like uh, the actual artifacts can be quite um, useful because there there's a shortcut for people or maybe less time to put into that kind of work. JP, you've been pretty quiet throughout this question. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I believe discovery uh, part of product managers is continuously managing stakeholders as well and continuously talking to people. Um, you you gain so much information from people, uh, even talking to people in the within the business. Uh, you learn you learn the problems, um, and then taking that to the team, and then inviting those stakeholders on into the team discoveries as well. That's a, that's a huge win. Uh, and I think it's really important to get the team involved with everything, the development team involved in everything so that they feel part of it and they live it, uh, like, like Peter just mentioned as well. I mean, it's, it's about being curious, right? And I think it goes also to, to all sorts of different situations, you know, trying a new tool or just doing things differently, constantly challenging yourself and, and you know, thinking about what, what actually have I changed my mind about lately? Because most of the times you sort of you do the same things and you sort of have the same sort of beliefs uh, and and obviously that's uh, the world changes so uh, that needs to be <laughs> moving in w along with the rest of the world. Okay, Mila, what are your sort of closing thoughts on this? Well, I think that the it's how how kind of uh, people have been saying about here it's uh, actually the day-to-day -day task that the kind of a uh, product manager does is really about the continuous discovery i would say that's the key thing that have been coming up in here and also kind of what we have been saying that uh, also the whole team of being part of it uh, is really beneficial because it can be even kind of put more fuel on the uh, machine that uh, we get inspired and uh, like also when the kind of uh, uh, developers and also design kind of have the same kind of findings and understanding, then kind of we are in a great uh, journey to better uh, build even better products. Okay, fabulous. 
But this indeed, what we'll do, we'll move on to the next person. That would be Peter. We'll come to you. And your question bit with me is a little bit long-winded. So <laughs> you, you said, we've all read about the product team trio that consists of a product manager, lead designer, and lead engineer. That's going to lead an empowered cross-functional team. But what are the other key roles and competences have you found that have it in so bloody else? Uh, found to have uh, uh, having all very close in your effort to build great products trip myself up there at the very end indispensable was the word um <clears throat> please take, take it away peter and go into a bit yeah, more detail so, for so, sorry for that very long and complicated <laughs> question maybe it could be put much more simply but um yeah no as like uh, i try to say then um we, we've all heard about this concept of the product trio, so the, the unity that sort of leads an empowered uh, team, uh, typically a product manager, lead designer, lead engineer. Um, however, in my, my comp- the current company, Bontouch, we've actually sort of expanded that concept a little bit. So uh, in most of our teams, we have something we call a team lead as well that has a very sort of... Um, a particular role in in just making sure that the team operations run as smoothly as possible to somewhat similar of a scrum manager, but also takes a more holistic responsibility for team development. Because we have experienced that uh, it's difficult for any one person to uh, be a jack of all trades. Um, so, uh, and I think that's a general challenge for uh, uh, the PM is that they're supposed to be a little bit all over the place. And uh, I'm not sure how realistic that is. So I'm asking now, based on your own experience, what sort of competences or um, roles have you had the most value of collaborating with, either directly within the team or, or sort of, uh, in, in extended capacity, I I personally think this is uh, purely based on the product you manage uh, and the industry or market you're in. Um, for example, I, I had the I was a product manager for the platform team, for example, but my product trio would not be a designer or anything because there was no design for that. So it's more like software architect, iOS uh, lead, and Android lead uh, as well. But um, generally, like right now, I mean, I'm working really closely with uh, the design lead, the tech lead, but more so with the data analyst uh, and the UX researchers as well, because we are launching a new UI. And that that is a huge, I mean, the data end especially uh, is much needed because if we want to carry out experience, uh, experiments and A-B tests and all these stuff. So that is a huge value. Yeah, I was also actually having the, the data analyst or data perspective in mind because rarely mm-hmm. kind of product manager, that, that person could kind of ful- fulfill that cap in, in some extent, but the not in the full uh, in yep. when when we are really talking about everyday life. Um, like, uh, for, for instance, if we take an example that uh, you are creating some uh, uh, additional feature to, to your product, uh, of course, like a uh, product manager tells like uh, why we need it, why customers want it, why it's good for the business. Mm-hmm. Devs tells like uh, how, to, how to build that. Uh, but then kind of... Uh, the the way that how we then set about that how we for instance going to launch it how we will be not going to do a ab test or 
uh, that's kind of setter that how we then actually measure that that feature that we are kind of creating is uh, creating value. So uh, like data analyst helps in the really practical things of like doing the experimentation design, but usually we tend to, because uh, yeah, I, I have the pleasure of having a data analyst in our team. We mm-hmm. already, when we kind of have the uh, kind of uh, what the why, uh, what we are doing and uh, for whom, then we already involve data analysts to kind of think about uh, how we're going to basically launch it and how we can measure that the goal that we are going after is being, yep. uh, is being achieved. Tell me. Yeah, that's uh, that's funny. Uh, I think uh, all three of us are going to have the same answer because mm-hmm. I was, was thinking about uh, data analysts. Uh, uh, and that is also from my experience at, at Readly, where we started to incorporate uh, a data analyst uh, mm-hmm. directly into the team. And the, the reason for that was that we saw that when you have a centralized uh, data science team, uh, they become more of generalists when it comes to understanding the users and the product, but when they are mm-hmm. part of the team and they're, like we said before, they're uh, consuming together with you the insights from the discovery, we're meet, doing that together, we're talking about what we're trying to achieve uh, within the product area, uh, the level at which they can help you to understand the data or to collect new data that was not there before or to model uh, different metrics that you need to co- correlate to each other uh, in order to measure your success. And the level of that work becomes magnitudes better when they are in the team uh, on an everyday basis. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, that's also my answer. That data science yeah. brings but that, a lot I mean, that, to the table. That's interesting. But I was also then I'm curious to uh, know if have you done you know types of um, personality mapping within your teams or or, or like. Uh, uh, how you, are you actively striving to create more diversity just in terms of personalities? Because I, like you bring up, I, I find a lot of teams tend to gravitate towards, you know, a group of analysts that are perhaps are very much execution uh, focused. And, and to some extent that is good, but it, it's in the long term, it, it lacks a certain, well, diversity simply. Um, so what's your thought about that? Is there is there um, a benefit of of trying to mix teams a little bit more uh, from you know just uh, how you think and act? Do you question like based on from you, personalities Peter? or like more based on personalities or more like based on different skill sets or backgrounds? Well, no, more, more personalities, I would actually argue. Uh, I think, I mean, skill sets, of course, but more, more in terms of personality. So so for easy purpose, like we do something called PI index, I think. Um, and we, we sort of take this question and learn about uh, each other's personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get we get matched with each other to to sort of say what works for both of us and what doesn't work for each of us. Um, just so that it's kind of filtered in before we start working together. Uh, and that really helps to understand how the other person perceives things and, uh, and works as well. Uh, th- that's not only with the data analysts, by the way. That, that's including your whole pro- uh, team. Like the- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
that's super interesting. Have you found that it gives you any like value in your everyday like work together or understanding absolutely. each other? Yeah, oh, for absolutely. Sure. Uh, not for for sure for us as well. Like uh, I had a uh, I had a report saying you're going to have conflicts with this person uh, mm. and your team, and uh, it, it, it seemed before we did the test, it seemed we did have a lot of conflicts. But once we start learning about each other's negative traits that we don't get along with each other, uh, we start. Well, now we're like best buddies. I mean, <laughs> so, so yeah, it does it does work. I'm a strong believer in this. So, uh, I do think it makes a big difference just understanding how we interact with each other and also that these different perspectives bring different things to the table. And in order to, to build a really high-performing team long-term, you actually need all the different aspects. Yeah, Peter, I was curious, uh, does that connect back to your original uh, question or like... The change that you guys made at Montage uh, with incorporating the the team yeah. lead for the whole cross-functional team does that connect back to this personality diversity as well in some way? Exactly. Yeah. You know, no, we we've sort of experienced that a lot of the uh, product managers uh, maybe haven't put enough emphasis on these aspects, maybe due to the lack of time, but also due to maybe a slightly different personality in general. So to compensate for that, it's good to have someone who has that as sort of a primary focus uh, to make sure we cover all sort of aspects. How does it work at Easy Park? Do you uh, does the product manager uh, in in your team become the natural team lead, or do you feel that you're lacking in that regard as well? I think we are a product led organization. Um, so, so you know, product uh, does take a lot of the lead within the company uh, naturally. Mila, what's your thought? Yeah, but I would say that the kind of the responsibility that you were, Peter, kind of describing on how you have been kind of thinking about the team lead roles, those then actually don't lie so much on the product manager because uh, we are not the managers of uh, anyone. So, I like how we could kind of then help the team to. Uh, kind of uh, improve and uh, learn some new uh, capabilities. But instead, we have an engineering manager. And uh, that person is usually, I would say, fulfilling the kind of the, the task that you were describing in the in the team lead. That is then kind of uh, helping the team to improve the way of working, uh, helping the engineers to kind of uh, uh, develop their skills and uh, etc. So I would actually argue a bit that is there really a need for a dedicated team lead? Because it sounds like uh, I'm not sure if the, all the tasks will formalize really a role. It seems that it's a more kind of a, being a facilitator of uh, different uh, workshops or kind of enabling different processes and uh, meetings to, to happen. And uh, to me, it like naturally would kind of be part of the responsibility of the person who is a manager of the majority, majority of the people in the team being then engineers and then being engineering managers. I don't know, like, have you then been kind of considered that aspect that, that why you don't feel that it would be engineering manager who would kind of fill that gap? Um, just to create the, the, the unity of the team to, to not have that kind of support from outside, but actually within the actual team. Uh, I think that's the, the most important aspect of that. 
and uh, I, I, it's in general it's again it, we tend to be very focused on um, the hard stuff or the the statistical and the data just like we you have noticed here uh, we appreciate that but uh, I think again going back to you know making people perform together it's it's a lot of effort is also about creating that kind of psychological safety and uh, understanding among team members. But of course, that could be done by anyone, I think. So let me just be clear about that. I mean, it could be full on anyone's um, responsibility, um, but it makes it easier uh, if you have someone who's sort of more uh, designated. But Peter, just to clarify, is everybody in, in your team uh, reporting directly to the team lead, or do they still have their hiring no, no, manager they, as well? Yeah, exactly. No, it's a, they they have you know an engineer manager who is you know uh, having the competence in their field, so to speak. So this is just purely to uh, make uh, uh, you know the team successful. Mm. And, and no, like a potential inefficiency that I have seen is that maybe the reason that you also maybe have a team leader that, you know, the product manager goes to the head of product to get coaching and develop themselves or like talk about how the team is performing. And then the engineers go to the engineering manager and the designers go to the design lead. Uh, and then all those three managers have to talk to each other about the team. <laughs> and they all have their own perspectives from different people <laughs> instead of like, being exactly, they go into the source. Potentially see that. Yeah, exactly. No, I think it needs to, uh, you know, be addressed and solved uh, in, in that context of the actual team. So to, I mean, it's uh, interesting to hear different perspectives. Okay, yeah, well, definitely it... be interesting to experiment uh, with that. Well, so Peter, do you have any closing thoughts on this subject? And uh, no, it's just uh, another like. Um, Push for a diversity of thought. I think uh, it's really key uh, key thing for also doing continuous discovery. You know, having these different perspectives. It's so easy to hire yourself, so to speak. Uh, it's really comfortable, but uh, you lack the perspectives needed to do great products in the end. Okay, fabulous, fabulous. What we'll do then, and we'll move on to Vitaly. We'll come to you last but not least, as always. Um, we'll come to you. you. You mentioned do mature products need product teams, and I know you've quotation marked Airbnb example. But this is going to be an interesting one. Can you dive a bit further for us? Yeah, I mean, this is a little bit of a clickbait because I think we all know that the answer <laughs> to that question is yes, that we do need product teams. But uh, what I'm actually more curious about is uh, a little bit about what Brian Chesky is also saying uh, about this change it made because what they actually did was not to remove product teams, but they basically shifted over product teams closer to marketing or like merged them with marketing and uh, are saying that, yeah, we need product team, product managers to understand how to talk and sell the product as well as, as well as uh, not only do like product discovery and product delivery. Uh, and that led me to like a rabbit hole of how do product managers act in a very mature product when, you know, the problem space is quite known, uh, the features have matured, we have a, a very high uh, product market fit, uh, and everything is kind of like running quite smoothly. It's like, do we just maintain the status quo or, or, or like 
what what should the company think about at that stage when it comes to to product teams and discovery? Uh, what does your guys take before I just uh, blur out my own opinions <laughs> on this topic? <laughs> it's I think it's funny that you say that you know Airbnb is a mature uh, product. Uh, I guess if you put it in context to the hotel business as such i mean it's probably one of the oldest one in the books right but i'm I'm guessing they have a few more undefined areas to solve but i i get your point and uh and obviously it it, it's something that evolves over time i think that's very clear uh and and maybe they also the sort of sub question to all of it is like how many product teams do you actually need because again, in in the in in the free money economy, it's quite easy to just add a new product team, and uh, there will be by default a lot of product managers. But at the end of the day, bills needs to get paid, and um, then it's a little bit more unclear what needs to go and what can stay. I think uh, t- uh, Twitter is another you know, interesting uh, example that's also quite uh, <laughs> hot of, on, in the news. Uh, that's sort of also proven the point. I mean, you can think you can think of what you like about um, Elon, but uh, the platform is still running, and there are, I guess there are like twenty percent of staff left or something. I don't know exact. So uh, that's also you know in, in that. Space like what? What? What is that role? If you can do that, I think like for designers to take the lead. I mean, in short term, I I, I believe it may work, but long term wise, I absolutely don't think it will work. Um, you know, I I don't see a designer you know, staying up with like innovation and getting the uh, all the like looking at competitions aggressively. I, I don't, I would sign this for example, they will focus entirely or mainly on, for example, the new sort of UI components and all these things. But in terms of diving into the users themselves and being the voice of the users, uh, I truly think a product manager plays a huge role there. Um, but I think Mila, like you have come from marketing and now you're a product manager as well. Uh, what's your take on it? Well, I I have been kind of thinking about that. Actually, uh, the it, it could work without the product teams if the kind of the the product is uh, mature. Maybe it's a cash cow, and uh, you just know that okay, if it's if we remain it in this shape that it is, it will just gener- generate us a revenue. And if the vision of the business is to not to kind of explore any new opportunities, product lines, uh, the customers who are targeting and going after, the, the group is remains quite same, the environment, the business model. If kind of all of these big components that usually create the great complexity where we need the product managers to kind of be on top of this, if, if that there is no complexity, everything is kind of status quo, then I would say that it can be manageable that you don't need, for instance, uh, product managers to, to be there. You just keep the keep the business going as it is. But then if there is opportunity, hey, we want to, uh, I don't know, expand to a new market or uh, we want to actually 
not to let our product to die off and, and the end of the life cycle, we want to reinvent something new, then like I, I think it comes quite uh, challenging uh, without a proper product team to tackle that challenge and uh, remain still uh, valid. Um, I, I, I'm having a hard time thinking about what company or industry that would be true. Like everything is stable, just a cash cow, sit back and watch the money roll in. It's I'm sure there may be one, but uh, it's there are not that many. <laughs> and uh, but to me, it feels like I mean these things, uh, you know, the, the needs remain, but maybe the labeling uh, is changed. Maybe it's called something else. Again, when I when I started back in 2005, there weren't any product managers hardly, uh, but there were still you know successful companies and startups. Uh, they had the same needs. That work was done, but may, maybe it was just called something else. So I think uh, the the competence that you get as a product manager in today's world will be valuable going forward, regardless of you know there, there will actually be a title for it or not. Uh, it's for me, it's a lot about uh, again managing. Um, stakeholders internally and navigating complex political system assists in, in larger organizations, uh, which is, I mean, believe it or not, very important. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I think that's uh, going to be true even in the future. Yeah, super interesting to get your guys' perspective on this. Uh, I, I've been reflecting uh, about this for, for a few days now and uh kind of my my thoughts right now are leaning towards that maybe the teams need to shift the focus rather than that the teams are not needed anymore uh so every product has a life cycle right no matter how big it is it will reach its biggest growth potential eventually and then eventually it will start dying off or it will become disrupted by another company or whatever um so what i see as a if I would be like a leader of, a, of, of that product, I would start thinking, okay, either I can short term, maybe like do the Twitter way and just maybe cut down on staff and just uh, run it and uh, make it into a cash cow. But it feels like a short term solution. But long term solution, I see that maybe you do the Apple way that you, you kill the iPod, but then you continue with other things. So you're like venturing into new areas, new problem areas that you were not venturing into before. Uh, and then you have your product people there uh, with you. Uh, and that's kind of a little bit what we see maybe happening in Asia, but not as much in Europe yet when it comes to this like mega apps, you know, like WeChat that has everything in it because they're just so big. Uh, and maybe that's maybe that's what Elon is also dreaming about, that X will become <laughs> eventually. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. But we haven't really seen that in the same way here yet. Um, but uh, at the same time, uh, not so many people know that Apple is one of the biggest uh, payment transaction uh, companies. Everybody thinks about the iPhone, but they b made a big bet on payments uh, some years ago and are secretly huge within that business area. And if they would not innovate, they could just cut down on, on product teams and just, you know, uh, yeah. Iterate, uh, make the bezels on the iPhone thinner and thinner year by year, yeah. <laughs> basically, <laughs> and just keep releasing the same product until it dies. Um, but that, I mean, I think that's so true. I mean, it's it's 
where you where product teams really make sense is in in, you know, in this uncertain context where the you know solution is not obvious and you need to navigate a lot of uncertainty. So as long as you have that as a goal within your company, that competence will be needed. Okay. Okay. So we're not about to see product managers uh, get fired all over the place yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to talk yourself out of the job, guys. <laughs> but uh, Vitaly, do you have any closing thoughts here? Uh, no, just reflecting on uh, how much there is actually to talk about uh, on these. All these topics uh, are very big and important, and uh, I think uh, all product managers should take the opportunity to discuss such topics with each other and across uh, organizations because we need we need more product people out there that are thinking about how the product models should run, and not enough people are doing that at the moment, I would say. There's too many products that don't solve any, that don't create any value for people. We need more perspectives, for sure. And we also need to speak with people that are not product managers, because, uh, again, uh, we're still in a minority in most Mm -hmm. contexts. So get that outside perspective is equally important. I think that's the beautiful thing about product managers. I mean, people come from various backgrounds and bring in value and we learn from each other. Uh, but that's a huge benefit. Okay, fabulous. Well, what we'll do then, um, we'll leave the chat there. We've been on here this for about an hour now, give or take, so we've got loads of great content. So I'd like to take this time to say thank you uh, to each of you. You've been absolutely fantastic. So um appreciate you jumping on the conversation and appreciate everyone for listening in as well and um, watch out for the next podcast thank you very much